Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Oh, 
my soul, my Savior God, to if you would, to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. I'm going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 14. Beginning with verse 1. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that he shall come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and a log of oil and and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on into the palm of his own hand, left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is on his left hand, and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one of the male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him. 
one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and a log of oil, and two turtle doves and t- or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of that oil in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons, such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford. The one is a sin offering, the other is a burnt offering, with a grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who had a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Then when you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that the... They empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague, and all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and examine the house, and he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which the plague is, is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. And the dust that they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it's plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water, and he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with blood of the bird, and the running water, and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in an open field, and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore and scale. For the leprosy of a garment 
and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. And I'm just going to quote Psalm 51.7. Psalm 51 says, 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I want you to try to think back to a time when you were very young, if you can do that. I want you to try to remember when you were a child out playing on a hot summer day. Do you remember what it was like to go outside and play? Try to remember a time when you played so hard that you were outside all day long. You were running. You were jumping. You were swimming. You were swinging. You were building a fort. You were playing a game with your friends. And you did that some days from sun up till sundown. And as darkness fell at the end of that hot, sweltering day, when your mom called you inside, you were sweaty, you were all dirty, you were filthy, your clothes were probably grass-stained, and they were soiled. Your hands and your face were probably covered with dust. You felt exhausted and you felt tired. But before you were allowed to jump into bed for a night of much-needed rest, your mom probably insisted that you do something first. She probably insisted that you clean up. She probably had you take a bath or a shower. And maybe you kind of resisted her orders. You didn't want to do that. But after you had scrubbed away the dust and the grime and soaked away all of that dirt from the day of play, after you had done that, you felt almost new again. The little nicks and cuts that had accumulated on your hands had been washed clean to heal. And cleaning them made those little cuts and wounds feel better. And they also That soaking also helped to protect the scrapes from infection. And after that bath, after you took that bath, you just felt better. And as you rinsed away the dirt, maybe you felt relaxed and you felt rested and and you felt ready for bed. But before pulling back the sheets, you put on clean clothes, probably your pajamas or a clean robe. And when you did that, you were presentable and ready for bed. And as you followed your mom or dad's instructions and washed and refreshed yourself, you had fulfilled your duty, you had followed their directives, and you'd done exactly what they told you to do. Well, listen, in my last teaching, I talked about hyssop and how hyssop in God's word is usually associated with cleansing and sin being expunged or removed. I also examined and discussed four separate incidents recorded in scripture, both in the Old and New Testament where hyssop was involved or made use of. The first that we discussed was the use of hyssop as an application tool to apply the lamb's blood over the doorpost as the children of Israel um, left Egypt. The second incident involving hyssop that we looked at also involved Moses and hyssop. The children of Israel used hyssop to sprinkle and apply blood to the book and to uh, the, the people as part of the ceremony of covenant. And the third incident that we talked about where hyssop was mentioned is Jesus being given vinegar to drink It was off, as it was offered to him at his crucifixion when suffering occurred that Jesus endure, endured on the cross for our sin. Well, the last or fourth incident where hyssop is mentioned, the Word of God involved David's sin of adultery and his orchestrating the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And we know that when David repented, he cried out to God, beseeching God, to forgive him and to wash him clean with hyssop, which is recorded in the verse that I just read from Psalm 51.7. We also identified characteristics and properties of hyssop. It's aromatic, many scent, its warm, pungent flavor, and the color of its flowers, red, white, purple, and blue. 
And we also identified spiritual applications from God's Word that relate to those specific colors. Hyssop is used in the Scripture as a tool to apply the blood to bring cleansing and in the washing away of sin. But another account from God's Word that mentions hyssop from the Old Testament is the account of the plant's role and use in the healing of the dreaded disease, leprosy. Now remember that leprosy was a horrible disease. The infection caused sores and lesions and boils to form all over the body. Leprosy was probably highly contagious. But the worst part of being diagnosed with leprosy by the priest was that lepers were forced to permanently quarantine and separate themselves from other people. The leper, by and large, lived the life of an unclean outcast. Leviticus 13.45 describes the plight of a person identified as a leper. The verse says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. And he shall dwell alone, God's Word says. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The passage we read, chapter 14, describes the process that a person cleansed and healed from leprosy would go through to be restored to fellowship. The process of ceremonial cleansing showed that the former reformed leper had now been pronounced clean. And hyssop, the tool used to apply the blood and to enact cleansing, is used in this ceremony that demonstrated that that once leprous person had now been healed and had now been made clean. You know, as sinners, we are unclean spiritually, and you and I are in need of healing. As Christians, we are directed to pray for the sick, those that are physically ill or infirmed. James 5, 14 and 15 explains this directive. The verses say, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Because of Jesus' shed blood, specifically his stripes, we can receive healing. 1 Peter 2.24 explains the physical chastisement that Jesus endured so that we could receive healing. The verse says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, in both passages that I just read, sin and, and our sinful states are mentioned. And we think of those scripture passages as verses addressing physical healing, but they also speak to the greater need for our spiritual healing. You see, any physical healing or improvement in our health in this life, it's only temporary. Eventually, those that are healed will eventually die unless Jesus returns before they die. Those passages intimate that we suffer from a spiritual infirmity or sickness that's much worse than any disease that may kill the physical body. Apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we are all separated from God in our sinful state. We are all in need of a God that is able to heal, deliver, and cleanse us from our sins. Romans 5.8 reminds us that Jesus Christ delivered us from the consequences of our sin while we were still trapped in a sin-sick state. The verse says, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our need 
for spiritual healing is much greater than our need for physical healing. Amen. Additionally, we were all terminal moving toward death in a sin-stricken spiritual state and without hope. We were all facing, before we were saved, an eternal death sentence. In 2 Corinthians 1, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul explained this shadow of death. And he knew what it felt like to have people seeking and plotting to kill him and take his physical life from him. But Paul wrote this under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God, which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that we, he will still deliver us. Friends, if you are trying to live this life without Jesus Christ, you are sick with sin and living among the walking dead. That's why Galatians 5.16 says, this I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 8, 10, and 13 says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Would be Christ's righteousness. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. To live the life of a leper, if you think about it, in some ways, it would have been worse than death. The life of a leper would have been like a dead man walking. But praise God, remember, Jesus Christ healed the lepers. Jesus Christ resurrected the dead. Jesus Christ has mastery over death, and he holds the keys to the kingdom and eternal life. The Christian need never fear death the way those without hope in the world do. Yes, Jesus healed the physically sick and the infirmed including lepers, when he ministered, when he was fully God and fully man here on earth. But he described another kind of healing that he would dispense to his children living in this world, a world of trials and suffering. His desire to heal is explained in Luke 4, 18 and 19. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, when Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, 1, the verse says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. David, by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understood that we need a regeneration beyond mere physical healing. David understood that we need healing and deliverance from sin. Psalm 41.4 says, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you, David wrote. Jesus provided that healing, that reconciliation, the justification for and from sin that our souls require. You see, we need Jesus' propitiation and payment, his shed blood, to enjoy the reconciliation and fellowship with God that we can have through Christ Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to place our trust in Jesus in order to receive salvation in his gift of eternal life. Romans 5, 9 through 11 explains how we are made right before God. The verses say, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's through Jesus. Our greater need of healing is for the healing of our souls. When a person was healed, cleansed, and delivered from leprosy under the Old Testament economy and law, the person being pronounced clean would have blood and water applied to their person with a bundle of consisting of cedar wood, scarlet, which is one of the colors of the flowers of the blooming hyssop bush, along with hyssop. Two birds were used in this ceremony of cleansing. One bird would be sacrificed, its blood shed in running water, and the other bird remaining alive would be dipped with the hyssop, the scarlet, and the cedar into the blood and water seven times. Now, Bible commentators say that seven is the number of completion and perfection, and seven is also a number used to represent God's forgiveness. Remember Naaman in the Old Testament, the commander of the Syrian army that God healed through the ministry of the prophet Elisha. We didn't read that, but you can read the account in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was instructed to wash in the river seven times. And what happened? Well, when he humbled himself and dipped in the Jordan those seven times, he was healed and delivered from his leprosy. In the first part of this lesson on hyssop, I shared with you how the ceremony of covenant mentioned in Hebrews 8, 9, 18 through 20 and Exodus 24, 1 through 8, which I... which. Uh, involved the sprinkling of blood with hyssop is similar to the new covenant that is symbolized in our observance of communion. We talked about that. But in the ritual for the cleansing of healed lepers, the cleansing with water, blood, and hyssop calls to mind the practice and testimony of baptism. Now, when the person that had been healed of leprosy went through this ritual cleansing, they did not do so in order to be healed from their leprosy. They were already healed. Going through the ritual did not heal them. In the same way, our baptism, when we're baptized, does not save us. The person being baptized is already saved. Their baptism is a testimony of their being cleansed and being saved. Baptism is a kind of cleansing, but it doesn't save us or wash away our sins. Baptism is a symbol of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a testimony of our old man dying and our resurrection into new life. When the converted Apostle Paul was urged by Ananias to be baptized and to have his sins washed away in Acts twenty two sixteen, Paul's salvation occurred first, prior to his baptism. Paul had already, been, had already believed and called upon the name of the Lord. It wasn't his baptism that cleansed his sins or that removed his sins. Well, the living bird that had been exposed to the blood and the water and the cedar and the scarlet and the hyssop would then be set free to fly away. This demonstrated symbolically the fact that the person healed from the leprosy had been set free from the awful burden of their unclean state. Friend, remember, when you and I become cleansed by the blood of Jesus and made children of God through faith and belief in Jesus Christ, friends, we are set free. We are made free from sin and death. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin and removes the death sentence hanging over every sinner estranged from God. Christ redeems the lost sinner. When Jesus explained to the Pharisees that they needed to be set free from their bondage of sin, they proudly proclaimed that they were not anyone's slaves. 
But Jesus explained, explained to them their need to be set free from the slavery of sin. In John 8, 34 through 36, we have Jesus' recorded responses to the Pharisees. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, meaning a redeemed person, a child of God who has believed unto salvation, abides forever, Jesus said. Therefore, if the son sets you free, Jesus said, you shall be free indeed. This ceremony of cleansing for the former leper included trespass offerings, sin offerings, burn offerings, and grain offerings. As part of the trespass offering, blood was placed on the right ear and on the thumb and the right hand and on the big toe of the person undergoing this ritual cleansing. Bible commentators indicate that those parts of the body touched with blood represent a kind of total consecration to God. It may be that the anointed person was intended to listen with their ears to the word of God, to go and do and obey God's word and walk in his ways with their feet, and to live a holy life with the, the work and deeds that they would do with their hands. Hyssop is also mentioned as a tool for application of the blood to a home or house or a dwelling place that was overtaken or infested with leprosy and disease. Even the buildings needed to be cleansed. Leviticus 14, 37 and 38 explains the verse to say this, and he, the priest, shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house within grain streaks, greenish or reddish, reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. Friend, you live in a house, but you also are a house. Christian, you are the abode of the living God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Lord of hosts resides in you. Paul explained his indwelling in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, when he wrote under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Friend, one day, God will give you a home and he will give you a new and glorified body that will never die. This new body will be like Jesus' resurrected body and friend, it will last forever. Christian, consider this. What is your current household like? Proverbs twelve seven says, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Proverbs 14, 11 says, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Leviticus 14, 37 talks about the leprosy plagued house being ingrained with streaks that run deep. Friend, maybe you or someone that you love is suffering from a kind of deeply ingrained sin. There is freedom from sin in the person of Jesus Christ. There is cleansing in Jesus Christ. Remember, it was the priests that conducted the ritual cleansing in the buildings that were plague-ridden. And friends, remember this, Jesus is our high priest. He is a high priest that is able to save and deliver the sinner from iniquity. Hebrews seven twenty-three through 26 explains the work of our high priest, Jesus Christ. The verses say, also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing 
But he, talking about Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Friends, Jesus isn't like other priests that have been limited by their sin and bound by the constraints of their own mortality. Jesus is sinless and perfect. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God the Son. He is without flaw and all-powerful. Hebrews 7.28 says, For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which come, came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. It's talking about Jesus. The picture or symbol of hyssop is one of cleansing. It was used to illustrate to the person delivered from the scourge of leprosy that they had in fact been cleansed. I want to close by identifying four outcomes and results of God's cleansing from sin when we are saved. And for lack of a better name, I'm going to call them the four R's. The first R is rest or peace. Now let's go back to the beginning, my description of the person taking a bath and washing their physical bodies after a day of playing hard or working hard. After a person soaks and cleans, they may feel more relaxed and ready to enjoy rest. Well, listen, Jesus has made his children to be at rest in the knowledge of their salvation and safe in the arms of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus promised as it, us his peace and rest, a peace that passes and transcends all, under, uh, all understanding. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the blessings of Christ's rule and how his kingdom and regents will be like a river to a parched place and a cool, restful shadow in a weary land. Isaiah 32, 1 and 2 says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Jesus described the rest available to the believing Christian that places their trust in Jesus Christ and His saving grace in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, Jesus said. So how does a person find rest in this world? You know, I've watched people over the course of my life striving their entire life seeking an elusive peace or a rest or what some people might call happiness. God's Word explains how a person can find godly happiness. Proverbs 16.20 gives us a simple recipe for peace and happiness. Take up Jesus' yoke, wear His yoke. The verse, is, the verse says, Whosoever trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The Christian can enjoy this rest and peace knowing that Jesus has purchased our salvation and assured our gift of eternal life. Friends, in the end, that's all we really need. Jesus said this about his peace in John 14, 27 and John 16, 33. The verses say, Peace I leave with you, 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations or troubles, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus' grace is sufficient for us. The second R outcome that results from our cleansing from sin is rejuvenation and rebirth. When a person takes a shower or bath and cleanses, they tend to feel refreshed and new. And actually, when you scrub your skin, exfoliation is the process of washing away dead skin cells. So when a person believes and receives God's gift of salvation, having their sins cleansed, they are made new. God is able to transform a person and change them in a good way. He's able to do a work in their lives that changes them for the better. Now, throughout my life, I've often heard people usually say in a cynical, world-weary tone, don't try to change people. People don't change. You can't change. Don't try to change them. Well, I agree with them that in so much as a person tries to change themselves through their own strength and their own efforts for the better, apart from God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, real meaningful change in a person's heart and life is next to impossible apart from God. But friend, when the Holy Spirit enters the heart of a believer, a person can change. The person is transformed and reborn in their spirit. They become a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 reminds us that even our sin-addled, corrupt, and damaged minds can be made new and transformed. The verses say, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you're struggling, when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see a face of a person that you may think is now too old, when you're in an environment of constant discouragement When you face difficulties, remember that God has transformed you. He is renewing you. He is doing a work in you. You are much more in Him than the sum total of your station in life, than your outward trappings, than your situation or your environment. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 assures us of God's gift of renewal. The verses say, For which cause we faint not, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. A third R, a result of God's cleansing, is the robe of righteousness or dignity in Christ that makes a person presentable before God and acceptable. Now, this is a hard teaching for us. When we clean up and we take a bath and change our clothes, we become presentable. Now, in our culture, as Americans, we don't like people that dress up with the purpose of trying to look important or to put on airs. But you know, up until the late 1960s, most people dressed up for everything, even uh, most casual recreational events. Now as Americans, we 
We chafe at the idea of requirements that say we must dress up or wear certain types of clothing in order to be accepted or to receive entrance to a particular event venue or some kind of exclusive club. But the robe of righteousness, don't miss this, the robe of righteousness and this respectability is not the result of our good works or our inherent goodness or righteousness. What do we do? We put on Christ's robe of righteousness. Remember in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, when the wayward son that had wasted his resources and substance with riotous living returned to his father's household, what did the father do? The loving father put on one of his own robes on his son, and in so doing, he covered his son's filth, grime, and shame. See, it wasn't the successful efforts of the prodigal son to clean himself up and scrub down prior to returning to his father's household that made the difference. It was the father's robe that covered the dirt and his act of grace, love, and forgiveness that made the difference and brought reconciliation. When we are saved and cleansed by Jesus Christ, we wear him. We wear and put on the person of Jesus Christ. When God the Father looks at us, He doesn't see our filth. He doesn't see our sin and grime. What does He see? He sees His perfect Son, Jesus, covering each of us. Remember, Galatians 3.27 says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ that have put on Christ. That's right. Christ's goodness covers us and is imputed to us. The prophet Isaiah understood that the redeemed person would wear a garment that would make them presentable and righteous. This robe would be given to them by God. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Remember the account found in Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 15 of the wild naked, berserk, enraged, demon-possessed man living among the tombs in a cemetery, harming himself, slicing and cutting himself. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus set that man free and brought healing and restoration to him. God's Word says in Luke 8.35 that a miraculous dressing had taken place after he had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. The verse says, Then they went to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The same man that had been brought to degradation, that had been brought to hopelessness, that had been brought to shame, that had been brought to self-destruction and nakedness by the agents of our enemy Satan, had been healed by Jesus clothed by Jesus, freed, renewed, and restored through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now, we didn't read Jesus' parable of the wedding feast. You can read that on your own. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, and it's verses 1 through 14. But in that parable, the king, in Jesus' parable, puts out a call for everyone and anyone to show up for his banquet. Now, it's said that it would have been the practice for the king to provide the appropriate attire for his guest. But in this parable, Jesus tells some of the guests that showed up were not wearing the proper wedding garment, and they were turned away even though they had been invited by the king. 
In Matthew 22, 11, Jesus said, But when the king came to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. After the king confronted the person wearing the wrong garment, Jesus says this in verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friend, unsaved person, if you are relying on your garments, if you are relying on your works, if you are relying on your good deeds, if you are relying on your comparison of yourself to other people to save you, to bring redemption to you, you will be lost. God's Word reminds us that apart from Jesus, that even our good works are as filthy rags. If you've never believed and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, put on Jesus. Wear His perfect robe of righteousness. Make sure that you are properly attired in your wedding garment so that when the Father looks at you, He doesn't see your works. He sees the only begotten Son's perfection and sinlessness. The fourth R or outcome that results from our cleansing is the responsibility and role that God entrusts to each of us his children. After you'd gotten dirty and your mom or dad ordered you to take a bath, they issued a directive to you and made you responsible to carry out that task. Well, listen, when we trust and believe on Jesus, we become one of his adopted, beloved children. We become heirs to the kingdom. We become friends of God. We don't have to work as servants to maintain our standing or relationship with God. We are his children. His household is our household. His gain and His work is our gain and our work. We don't have to work. We get to work. His kingdom is our kingdom. One responsibility that He gives us is to grow and to be more like God the Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God wants us to get off the baby bottle and the milk And he wants us to grow to be able to chew on solid food. God also wants his children to witness and to share their testimony for his glory so that others can receive redemption and his cleansing, transforming gift of salvation. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. And friends, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are just some of your responsibilities as a child residing in the household of God and living as the abode of God. Hyssop was used to apply the cleansing blood and was used to bring the confirmation of healing to the diseased. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 15, 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Friend, believe the word, receive, and be made clean. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray to close the service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your cleansing blood, the blood of your Son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you made it possible for us to be reconciled to you. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help each person here that has uh, placed their trust in you. Lord, that you would help them to continue to be discipled and grow in their faith and to glorify you with their lives and their works. And Lord, that you would use them as agents to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that has never believed and trusted you unto salvation, that as you call them to you, that they would be saved today. And while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I'm just going to ask you, if there's anybody here today that says yes, I want to receive that gift of salvation, just lift up your hand. If you've never done that and you feel that the Lord is prompting you to do so today, just lift up your hand if you've never done that. Lord, we thank you again for all that you've done. Go with us now and help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to also be doers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.